Greetings, everyone. Welcome to D Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now I coach others on their plant-based journey. Jess Tass Voice, let's welcome our guests. Eclectically trained physical therapist and nutrition educator, Eileen Kapsoftis is the founder of Have Lifelong Wellbeing. Please click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, Eileen Kapsoftis. Greetings and welcome back, Eileen. Hello, I'm so glad to be here. Yes, 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 I enjoy. And we're opposites on the color wheel, so we're really coordinated here. Blue and yes, orange. Aren't we? Yeah. we didn't even didn't even try to. <laughs> well, we're truly excited to have you back on the show. Eileen's been on the show a few times. Uh, you talked about how to age without back pain. And you talked about uh, common culprits that lead to chronic pain. And today, we are discussing how food and movement impact walking. That When you told me about that idea for this topic, I thought that is so interesting because I don't know that people would connect those things, all those three things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And throughout yeah. this broadcast, Eileen's going to be uh, providing expert insights and answering your questions on how to make the most of this. Well, I guess it's, there's a powerful connection between food, movement, and walking. There so now if you have any questions, type them in the chat. Go ahead, Eileen. Okay. And, and I... Well, what I love to do, this is my favorite thing, is to teach people what's mostly unknown because, you know, there's a lot of information out there, right? We don't have a lack of information. We have an overwhelm of information. And when people are trying to figure out what's wrong, want to eliminate a pain issue or address a chronic condition or whatever, they do an internet search and, you know, there's, there's 3 million responses and they have no clue what voice to listen to, what article to trust, who's telling the truth, who isn't. There's so much contradiction. But so I'm not necessarily here to contradict everything and to state a case that is, you know, my point is I'm going to share things about human movement that most people are completely unaware of. And that includes many people in my profession as a physical therapist and athletic trainers, orthopedists, um, occupational therapists, massage therapists, athlete, you know, it's just, wow. There, it's This is information that a lot of people don't know, but they need to know. And so that's why I do all of these talks and free events. And I do have a special offer for your audience today I'm going to open up a, a access to an event that I did in the past um, that I think they're going to really love. And I'm going to give them access for two weeks. It's a three-day challenge, and I think they're going to love it. And it's absolutely free. So, And it's going to really expand on what I'm talking about today. That That's so generous of you. Stay tuned, everybody, because we're going to uh, give links for that and tell you all about that at yes. the end of the broadcast. Oh, this is so exciting. I just wanted to put this up because our friend Sid Nodder. Oh, hi, Sid. And screaming, Sid. So nice that you're here. (laughs) We all actually got a chance to see each other recently at the 75th annual uh, NHA conference. So we did. You and I got a physical hug. Yes, we did. And it was so nice to see everybody there. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm so glad that Sid is joining us. Yes. Yeah. So when you talk about this topic, I just, you know, I, I thought, well, I'm sure that there is a connection, but most people don't really think about no. that connection. No, no. Yeah. So hopefully I'm going to teach a lot of good information today and uh, I'm going to try to keep it where they don't have to be an anatomy expert or a physiology, you know, PhD, but we'll, we'll, we'll make it where it's straightforward and understandable, but I'm not going to dumb it down so that no, people we'll actually learn something, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay, great. Well, did you want to start then? Sure. I'm ready whenever you are. Excellent. Then we'll get you up your presentation ready to go. There you are. All right. There we are. So uh, I decided to start the show with Amy's picture because it was so well done and so colorful and great and had so much great detail on there. So uh, what I'm going to be talking about is how food and movement impact walking. And I'm going to go into some detail of walking and I'm going to share my, um, I do have my favorite little toy here, which I forgot to grab. I'm going to grab it now. I've got my little foot model here that when I'm done with the slides, I want to show you guys something really good. After you've seen the slides and you have a little better understanding, I'm going to explain some things holding this foot. And hopefully it's going to really help it all to kind of drive home. Okay. All right. So this is really important. This is one of my favorite statements that I devised, so to speak. Understand authentic because a lot of people don't understand what authentic human movement is. They think, you know, going to the gym and pushing up against a machine to straighten their knees against resistance is a good thing, but it's not. That's very inauthentic and it can create a lot of sheer force on the knee. Um, I've done, I do have a YouTube channel and I, I've done some videos on that. And I've had people comment on the videos and go, I did that and I did end up having knee issues and yada yada so it's it's really important that we understand authentic human movement because we're going to make better choices when we train our bodies and we're going to end up with improved results and we're radically going to reduce the risk of injury or, or overuse that that's really important so of course this is educational purposes only i don't want anyone here to end up injuring themselves or harming themselves i can't watch anybody i can't you know do a a specific one-on-one -on -one consultation with anyone here and you know what your history is, you know what's going on in your world. So please don't make any changes without some expert advice and guidance. So I'm, I'm gonna talk about plantar foot pain because it is prevalent. There are millions of people in our country right now dealing with plantar foot pain, but the information that I share about human movement is gonna cover from, from nose to toes. So it, so whatever you hear here, say you don't have any foot pain, but you have knee pain when you walk, or you have hip pain when you walk, or you have neck pain when you walk. I had a guy who came into the clinic one time, this was many years ago, and uh, he had a lot of neck pain when he took his morning walks and he was somebody else's patient, but their therapist, his therapist was on vacation. So he ended up on my schedule. And I think it was a God thing because yes. they were treating his neck like eight sessions and no difference whatsoever. So I asked him, when do you get your neck pain? He said in the morning when he took his walk, but he didn't want to stop walking. He loved it. And so I, of course, knowing how everything's connected, I asked him, have you ever sprained your ankles? And he said constantly in college in sports. So I checked his ankles. He was very, very limited in dorsiflexion, which is when you lift your toes up toward the ceiling and your heel stays down. And I mean, he was zero on one foot and, and 20 is normal. 
and he was about minus five on the other foot. He was kind of a little bit in plantar flexion, the opposite motion. And so I mobilized his ankles and gave him a specialized way to lengthen the calf muscles because they had shortened over the years. He never had to come back. His neck pain was gone and I never touched his neck. So they could have been treating his neck until the cows came home. He could have ended up getting imaging and they might've found something because everybody's got something and oh. they might've ended up giving him injections or surgery, God forbid, on his neck. But none of that would have resolved his pain because we need to understand from the ground up just how impactful foot function is. And most people have some history of an ankle sprain or some kind of a problem. And it, you know, they think, oh, the pain stopped. I'm walking fine. No big deal. But nobody assessed the function of that ankle. And it may be lacking dorsiflexion. It may be lacking eversion. It may be lacking rotation. And, and they don't know it. And with every step they take, their body is compensating and some other body part is going to end up wearing out abnormally because it's doing what it wasn't designed to do, especially over time, day in and day out. So, so those of you who are watching this, if you don't have foot pain, I still want you to pay attention to these sections because this really could make a difference in your own life. So, so there are common plantar fasciitis symptoms. If you happen to be one of those few million who deal with this, pain is worse in the morning. Usually if you've been sitting for a while or lying down for a while, you get up, oh my gosh, it's worse. When you move around, it usually lessens. Um, stairs can be very difficult. People don't realize this, but when you go downstairs, you need really good dorsiflexion in your ankles. And I've treated people who were status post total knee replacements. And when I was doing home care for a while, and a lot of the times they'd say, oh, it's because my knee isn't bending. I go, no, your knee is bending 115 degrees. You only need 110 to go downstairs. It's not your knee, it's your ankle. And we mobilize their ankle and they go down the stairs perfectly. So it's really important that we understand these things, right? And then uh, with plantar fasciitis, it can flare after prolonged physical activity or exercise. So the person can take a run, they can work out, and then afterward their pain is worse. And then typically there's a lot of stiffness in the Achilles tendon, which is the lower part of the calf for people who aren't familiar where that is. Now, it technically plantar fasciitis medically should be called plantar fasciosis because the the scientists have been researching this and they find that there is no inflammation in the pathology. So there's no inflammatory cells. There's nothing in there that really says it's inflammation, even though we call it fasciitis, which is an inflammation, it really isn't. It's a thickening of the fascial sheaths and there's impaired blood flow. So people who are using ice and rolling their feet on those frozen water bottles, the reason they're not getting any relief, now some people do, but the reason they're not getting relief is because the ice isn't going to affect either one of these things. As a matter of fact, it's going to impair blood flow even more. So it's not really your friend if that's your problem. And then these are what are titled on the, the different websites that you'll go on to. And we're talking major websites like WebMD or you know, I'm not talking just, you know, the next door neighbors. And well-known causes, overuse is the first one. And I crack up laughing at this and, and it's not it's not ha ha funny, it's ha ha sad because we don't walk around on our hands. So what do you mean overuse? There are billions of people on this planet who spend their days on their feet, either at their job or whatever, and they don't have plantar fasciitis. So why does overuse occur in some people, but not everybody 
who's on their feet. Everyone who works a cash register, everyone who works in a bank, everyone who stands on their feet all day long does not get plantar fasciitis. So to me, overuse is a misterm because it would happen to everyone. And then the excessive pronation. Some people do have extremely flat feet. And I'm going to explain why that matters when I talk about the mechanics of the foot and ankle and how they work. And then tight calf muscles. Well, that one patient I told you about, he didn't, his calf muscles really weren't tight. It's his ankle that wasn't functioning properly. And once we restored the motion, the calf could then lengthen, but it won't lengthen if the motion isn't there. And then we've got, you know, dysfunctional foot structure, but that's a very small percentage of people. So the actual cause behind it is still not clear. The jury is out. They really don't know why some people get it and some people don't. Now, heel spurs. A lot of people will show a heel spur on imaging. And you can see this is a pretty big heel spur here. So I think you have a true or false question right now, don't you, Amy? Yes, I do. And we're going to get started with that right now. It's time for True or False on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer true or false to Amy's questions in the comments below, and Amy will ask our guest for the expert answer. Okay, here's our question. True or false, heel spurs are known to be the cause of pain in the foot. Okay, Green Warriors, type in your guess, and now Eileen is going to continue on, and we'll find out the answer. All right. Heel spurs are no longer considered the cause of plantar fascia pain. Now they were for many years because people just assumed, oh, that's there. Of course, that's why their heel hurts. But your plantar fascia, which I'm going to show you a picture in a couple of minutes, connects to this area. And if the plantar fascia is, is, has an issue, fasciosis, and lack of blood flow and it's thickened, it's gonna be painful when it has to stretch out because the foot's not doing what it's supposed to do mechanically. So they're learning because a lot of people have heel spurs upon imaging and they do not have any plantar fascia pain. So that means it's really not a direct correlation. So I, I wanted to just briefly remind everybody here that, you know, flip-flops are a wonderful summer addition to our footwear. However, if you do have any foot issues or any issues with walking, this is not your friend. Uh, your toes have to constantly clench in order to keep them on. The foot muscles are working overtime. Your natural gait is altered and it can literally cause a shortening of the connective tissues in the bottom of the foot. So these aren't your friend. Um, it's okay if you're at the beach. I wore them when I was at, in Maine last week because it was easier to take them on and off on the sand, but I don't wear them all the time because they're really just not a healthy footwear. I'd rather go barefoot. You're better off to walk barefoot than to walk in, in flip-flops. So these are common treatments for plantar fascia pain. And you can see here, it's quite a long list. And again, when you do an internet search, oh my goodness, it's shocking how many of these things are recommended. However, if any of these really worked, you wouldn't have millions of people suffering from plantar fascia pain. It would be resolved. <laughs> Nobody would have it. So obviously a lot of these are really lacking, um, if not most of them. And I'm going to cover just a few of them because we don't have, we do have limited time. Uh, and so, but the important question to ask is when you're treating pain, does it relieve the symptom or does it resolve the cause? 
and what are the risks? And what I mean by this is, and, and I, I was talking to a dear friend of mine, her father was going to go and get an injection uh, in his elbow because he had elbow pain. And he was asking me about it. And he said, you know, what do you think? Should I? And I said, well, I think you should figure out what's happening wrong in your body mechanically so you can fix the problem. I mean, think about it. If I was hitting you on the head with a hammer, would you rather somebody handed you an aspirin or would you rather stop me from hitting you? So, you know, that's the difference between relieving the symptoms or resolving the cause. And then, of course, what are the risks? Because the majority of treatments out there, uh, if they're medical treatments, even if they're conventional, if they're very common, they all carry risks and we need to know what they are. I cannot tell you how many patients I've had come to the clinic and tell me, I wish I knew then what I know now because I would not have agreed to that medication or that treatment or that procedure or that surgery because that person is still dealing with really bad fallout even years later. So we need to know. Now, if you decide that the risks are worth the potential benefit, then you've made an informed decision. It's not an ignorant decision. And nobody wants to be ignorant, right? We all want to be informed. So these are mostly unknown causes of foot pain. Uh, and this is, again, what I said when we first started talking, that I like to share what most people don't know about so that they can be more informed and they can ask better questions and they can seek help that's more effective in helping them to get out of pain. So a lot of the times, the reason that people have foot and ankle pain or knee pain, low back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain is because of these issues. These three areas of the body are the biggest culprits when it comes to um, causing issues elsewhere. The knee is a very simple hinge joint. It just bends one way. It's stuck between the hip and the ankle with no place to go. The low back is stuck between the trunk and the hips or the pelvis. And if those aren't working right, the low back won't be happy. The shoulder, the shoulder counts on your hips working properly, your ankles working properly. I fixed shoulder pain of a quarterback of our local college, had a prized quarterback come to me and his, his diagnosis was shoulder and elbow tendinitis. And when I assessed him, this, this, he was 22 years old, rock solid muscle from head to toe. He had nothing wrong with him. He had full range of motion. His strength was, I mean, he could have lifted me and I could have hung on his arm and it wouldn't have moved. So I'm, I'm checking him out. There's nothing wrong with his shoulder or his elbow. I asked him to show me how he throws a football. He did. And I saw that his ankles were very unstable. I said, how long have your ankles been unstable? He goes, well, I, I, I kind of twist on him during practice and I have to walk off the pain. And I said, well, I think we need to fix those ankles. So your shoulder stops bothering you. And I won't take the detail to go into why that's the case. But the very simple answer is if the ankle doesn't stabilize him as he goes to release the ball, his arm is going further than it should before he lets go. And that's what was causing the problems. So we just treated him to stabilize his ankles. It was three, four sessions maybe. And he could do a three hour, three man throw session with no pain whatsoever. His shoulders and elbows were fine. So we really need to understand, you know, what happens. And so these things, believe it or not, impaired loading in the hip can cause foot pain because there's a back and forth action that occurs. And I'm going to show a couple of pictures and explain that more thoroughly. And then trunk motion. Trunk motion is, is part of the issue. Okay. So to explain these a little bit more in detail, 
impaired dorsiflexion. You want about 20 degrees as normal. If you've got anything more than 10, you, you'll, it's, it's pretty functional. But if it's less than 10, there's, there's things that are going to be happening. And um, it's really important to have this motion in the ankle. And then eversion, inversion, that's when your feet roll in and your feet roll out. Uh, the heel bone is actually what's everting and inverting. Very, very important to have that as well. And then we've got pronation and supination. You can see here if somebody has an overpronated foot, a really flat foot, they kind of have the inside of their ankle sort of rolls in and their foot is really flat. That is excessive. This is healthy pronation here. This is neutral. And just to let you know, your body that never moves in neutral ever, just like a car, when you put it in neutral, doesn't go anywhere. It's got to be moving. So it's your foot is either going to be supinating or pronating when you're walking. And then this is over supination, which of course that's going to risk having your um, outside of your ankle get sprained or injured pretty good. So these are the motions that we want, nice, healthy pronation and supination. So healthy foot anatomy, this is sort of like if you pulled the front of the foot away and you looked, this is your shin bone. Everybody knows their shin bone. This is that outside ankle bone that we whack when we don't see something in the dark and it hurts like crazy. And then underneath that is a bone called the talus. The talus is a very special bone. It, it's the only bone in the body that has no muscles attached to it. And so I think it's fascinating because it basically functions because of physics. And, it, and it's not because of muscle function. It's not because, you know, you're weak or you're strong or any of that stuff. It's reacting to your movement, your mass and momentum, which means the size and weight of your body and your movement. And it's also reacting to gravity and something called ground reaction force, which is the force of the, the ground or the floor that goes against your foot when you're walking. So those three things, which are all about physics, are what cause this talus bone to do its magic jobs. And it has two of them, very, very important. And then this is the calcaneus or the heel bone. And this is a better picture to show you of that. Most people are surprised to see just how big the heel bone is. They think it's just the back of their heel, but you can see it's a really large bone and it comes all the way forward under the shin bone. And then this is that talus, that magic bone. And there's a joint between those two bones, the talus and the calcaneus or your heel bone. It's called the subtalar joint. And the motion that occurs there will impact your entire body when you're walking all the way up to your neck. And your entire body from the neck down will impact that joint as well. So I'm really excited to share this with you all. And I hope you get some great aha moments from this. Now, healthy foot function, does it does matter that the, the ankle joint proper right between your shin bone and that talus is working well for that dorsiflexion and, and plantar flexion, which is when you point your toes. You'll also get a little bit of sideways motion and a little bit of rotation there, but not much. It's mostly the pointing the toes down and pointing the toes up. And then we've got your hind foot. We've got joints here and we've got midfoot and we've got joints here and we've got forefoot. And these, these motion here does impact healthy function of the foot. Now, this is what I was talking about, how it can trigger motion from the ground up. So when you, when you go to take a step, because of the shape of the heel bone, and I'm going to show you with my little model here when I'm done showing the slides, 
um, the foot does a very specific motion as it lands on the ground. And then what happens is this talus bone rotates down and in, which creates internal rotation of your shin bone, which creates a reaction right up all the way to the neck. And then from the neck down, because it responds to that reaction, it ends up creating external rotation down here and it causes this talus to rotate up and out. This heel bone then moves from eversion toward inversion and we get a nice, healthy response of the foot. And I'm gonna explain why that matters in a moment. I'm kind of teaching you a little at a time so your eyes don't glaze over. Um, now this is the plantar fascia and you can see it does go right from your toes all the way to that heel bone. So that's why a lot of the times people used to think that heel spur was the cause of the pain, but it's truly because where this is attaching to the bone, there's a lot of very unhappy tissue here when it's thickened, when it has decreased blood supply. Now I'm not saying a bone spur never causes pain, but it's, it's really unlikely. Most people have bone spurs and they don't have any pain there and uh, you could have it for years. Um, and it's just, it's really not the causative factor anymore. So real foot function. I'm gonna explain this very simply and then kind of explain that magical foot transformation. So your foot has to be a very mobile adapter, which means when you take a step and you land on your heel, your foot is designed to absorb that shock or you're gonna get this jarring all the way up into your teeth. And, and so it's gotta absorb the shock it also has to be flexible because what if you step on something uneven or a pebble or a tree root? So it's got to be flexible to, to be able to go around that and you don't lose your balance. And what in order to be flexible, the bottom of the foot or the joints of the bones in the foot need to be what's called unlocked. And then when you go to step off that foot, it has to be a very stable propeller. It needs to be firm and provide lots of strength and be solid and be what's called locked in those joints. So there's this magical transformation that goes from your foot being a flexible shock absorber to a solid propeller. And hopefully these pictures will help you. So when she's landing on this heel, the heel bone does something called eversion that talus bone, that magic bone drops down and in, and then the midfoot will flatten and become flexible. That's called pronation. You don't want to stop pronation. Many, many, many years ago, they had, uh, they were, they were promoting these shoes and they were marketing them saying, oh, people have this pronation issue and it's causing all these problems. So they designed these shoes that literally prevented pronation and they screwed up a lot of people with those shoes. So we need pronation. We just don't need it to be so excessive that it completely flattens out and it can't come out of it. And I'll explain that in just a moment. So because of that, that shin bone rotates in, the thigh bone rotates in, your knee bends. So as she lands on here, that knee will start to bend as she propels her body forward and her pelvis will rotate and her trunk will rotate. All of those things happen because of that heel bone everting as you land on your heel. And it so it triggers upper body response. Now, this foot, as she's getting ready, you can see her heels coming off the ground. She's getting ready to do what's called a toe off 
portion of gait. Because of the upper body doing what it did, hopefully appropriately and correctly, it will trigger a lower body response. Because of that pelvis rotation and that trunk rotation, they go to a certain amount, they do something called load, and then they unload that rotation by moving in the opposite direction. And then of course the knee will straighten, that thigh bone rotates out now instead of in, causing the shin bone to rotate out, causing that talus, that magic bone, to rotate up and out. And then the heel bone inverts, which causes the midfoot to become rigid and stable in what's called supination. So those two motions are really, really important. Hopefully you guys have just learned a lot. All right. Now I want to move on to ways that food relates to pain because we talked about this and most people have no clue. Well, there are three very important reasons. Um, fats that impair circulation, arachidonic acid that leads to chronic inflammation and excess weight, which can also lead to chronic inflammation. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I wanted to go over a few slides to explain this to you all. So when we consume fats, uh, it does impair circulation in the body, even what are considered healthy fats like olive oil. Um, and and it's, it's just not conducive to good health in our circulatory system. These are red blood cells. And you can see this is a nice, healthy look of red blood cells. They really do need to be able to go single file through the capillary, which is the smallest vessel. And that's where all of the exchange occurs of nutrition and oxygen and, and all of that. And after six to nine hours after a high fat meal, those red blood cells kind of clump together. They get sticky and it remains that way for up to 12 hours. And so that's going to impair circulation. And it doesn't just impair it to the heart and to the brain. Now, a lot of people have a heart attack after a Thanksgiving meal if they're eating a traditional standard American diet uh, Thanksgiving meal. And this is why, because everything gets sticky and now they've, they've already got a decrease. And, and I go into this in detail in a lot of different presentations, but I'm shortening it right now just to let you know that this is really not a good thing. We don't want this to happen. And when, and this is a, a, a picture of what fat looks like in the blood supply. This was a blood sample taken from someone who had had a high fat meal. And this is a healthy blood sample. This is plasma. And then your red blood cells and the different constituents of the blood. This is what looks like it happens on gravy in your refrigerator. We don't want this in our blood supply. And then, of course, people say, well, what about healthy fats? What about all of these oils? Well, oils also impair circulation. Uh, bread dipped in olive oil reduced the dilation, which is when blood vessels open up and widen to provide good blood supply in the brachial artery. So they were testing the one artery in the arm. Now, obviously, if it reduces dilation in the brachial artery, you've got miles of blood vessels. It's going to happen everywhere. It's not going to just happen in one place, but this is where they were testing so they could do this study. And so what this indicated was injury to the endothelial cells. These little cells line all of your blood vessels and these little cells rule they produce something called nitric oxide, which opens up your blood vessels, dilates them. If they've been injured, they produce less nitric oxide, and now the blood vessels will constrict. And that's when everything hits the fan that we don't want to happen. And so 
And, and, and for those of you who aren't aware, for anyone who's suffering from erectile dysfunction, I attended a PCRM conference, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, back in 2015. And one of the presenters, the title of his, his talk was Erectile Dysfunction is the Canary in the Coal Mine. Because a lot of the times if a man is suffering from that, it's, it's, a, it's a, sign, a sign, a symptom, a side effect of having cardiovascular issues. And he may not have been diagnosed yet with that. And when you take those pills that are meant to treat erectile dysfunction, what those pills do is they promote the production of nitric oxide. So it's just change in diet can, can resolve ED. So very, very important. Okay. Both omega-3 and omega-6 fats contribute to the development of plaques damaging the arteries. So, you know, a lot of people are thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, eat all these foods that are loaded with all these things. You get all you need from plants. You don't need to be supplementing. You don't need to be increasing uh, what you're doing. And then coronary artery disease progresses just as much for those eating a diet in monounsaturated fat, which is olive oil. That's a monounsaturated fat as those eating saturated fat, you know, new lesions in human coronary arteries. So it's, it's really not good. And I think we have another question, don't we, Amy, that another true or false before I show the next slide? Uh, about the supplements? Yes. Okay, here we go. So true or false, taking omega-3 supplements reduces your risk of heart attacks. Okay, Green Warriors, type in your answer and go ahead. Eileen, tell us what the answer is. All right. The answer is false. This study looked at 89 studies and there was no evidence of reduced risk of cardiovascular events or death from taking omega-3s. So it might give somebody maybe better blood work. They might feel better. Some people say, oh, my nails looked better or my hair felt better. You know, you'll see all of these, these, these reported side benefits. And yet, you know, the, the number one reason we take these things is to live longer and to not get disease. So if it doesn't do those, it's kind of a waste of money and, uh, becomes an expensive thing that is getting flushed down the toilet. And here, oils and impaired circulation, there are really no healthy oils. They are very concentrated in fat and calories. Just one tablespoon has 130 calories, 14 grams of fat. And it's equal to 1300 extra calories every 10 days if you make no other change in your caloric intake. So if you're adding a tablespoon of olive oil every day to your diet and you're not reducing calories someplace else, it can lead to a weight gain of a pound a month or 12 pounds in a year. So people who are struggling to get rid of excess weight, just eliminating oils from their diet, they might notice the scale starts to be their friend again. So added oils really need to be eliminated from the diet. And when it comes to cardiovascular disease, this is a great book. I highly recommend this book. Very, very well written by Dr. Esselstyn. And this is from that book. Here is, um, this is the Widowmaker. This is an artery to the heart, for the heart. It's a coronary artery. And this was, uh, I believe this was a, a cardiologist. And um, he really made some major changes 
after seeing this based on Dr. Esselstyn's work, and I believe he collaborated with him. And this was a picture sometime later, look at how much better this looks. Now he had this imaging taken because he was having some symptoms again, and he wasn't sure if this had improved. And of course he saw it had improved dramatically. We don't know how long it actually took to improve. This was just because he was having some symptoms and it was more anxiety induced and stress induced, but it wasn't because of circulatory issues, which he was very thankful to find out. But this could have happened a lot sooner than the two dates here. We don't know how long it took um, because it, it wasn't done until he felt some weird symptoms. So, you know, there's another thing called arachidonic acid, which contributes to inflammation. And it's important to understand that when you have excess arachidonic acid, that will contribute to inflammation because it stimulates the production of those chemicals that promote inflammation in the body, kind of like putting a brick on the gas pedal. But the interesting thing here is that fruits, veggies, grains, legumes produce little or no arachidonic acid. So you're not going to get an overload of it when you're eating a whole food plant-based diet. Now, it is an essential fatty acid, which means you need to consume it because your body doesn't make it. However, arachidonic acid has this very special feature that your body can do. Your body can convert the linoleic acid from plant oils to arachidonic acid. So you don't need to consume it directly. Your body will make it as needed from the plants that you consume. And a lot of people aren't aware of, but even cauliflower, 11% of the calories in cauliflower is from plant oils. So we get all the oils we need from plants. And so you don't need to consume it directly. But if you are consuming it directly from animal foods, you really easily can do an oversupply. And then, of course, people say, well, what about getting enough protein? And I know most of your audience is very familiar with this, but for anybody who might be watching who isn't familiar with this, I added this one slide. Plant foods are a great source of protein. Uh, the percentage of protein in these plant foods is, is more than enough. You're, you're not going to lack protein. And I don't believe that. And I think Dr. McDougall will say this as well. I don't believe there's ever been a diagnosis of of protein deficiency in anybody who consumes enough calories to maintain life. So I, we're also worried about not getting enough protein, but it doesn't happen unless you're literally starving. You're in a third world country or God forbid you're, you're, you're without a home and you're living on the street and you're not getting enough food. That's the only time this is going to happen. So you're going to get all you need from plants. And then excess weight. We used to think that fat cells did nothing. They just stare back at you when you look at them under the microscope. We now know differently. They are little chemical producing factories as well. And they do produce inflammatory chemicals that will promote chronic inflammation in the body. And when it comes to plantar fascia pain, being overweight really increased the risk of experiencing that. Um, and non-athletic people, there was a high correlation between being overweight and chronic heel pain and plantar fasciitis. And a 1.4 time greater incident of plantar fascia issues in those who have a body mass index of uh, higher than, or 25 or higher. And then statistically significant relationship between body mass index and foot pain. 
and those with chronic plantar heel pain were almost three times more likely to have body mass index of 30 or higher. So, and then when it comes to just walking excess weight, it does change the gait. Um, those who have obesity take shorter steps. They have a slower gait. They have an increased step width. Usually it's because of the size, the mass of the thighs, or they're just trying to uh, increase their base of support. So they're widening their, their width, their stance. And then uh, greater ankle joint dorsiflexion because of the excess weight, less plantar flexion, increased Q angles. That's something between the knee um, that has to do with the knee and the hip and how the, the leg bones line up in the body. And then increased hip abduction angles. That's the, again, those, those hips, are, the, the legs are moving out from midline in the body. Um, foot abduction, there, that's a motion that the foot also makes. And then increased out towing. You'll notice most people who carry excess weight kind of walk with their toes out, a little bit of a duck stance uh, and increased pronation because of the excessive weight pushing down onto the foot. So it's really not a good thing if, um, you know, working on obtaining a healthy weight. And as you all know, Amy and her husband are perfect examples of how changing what you do can make a massive difference in what you weigh. So, and there is a right diet for human beings, you know, 90% of calories. And this is based on the work of T. Colin Campbell and his book, uh, The China Study. And yes, you can still consume animal foods if you feel like you can't live without them and you're going to die without them. But if you keep it to 10% or less, you're going to radically reduce the harm that the animal foods do for you. And that means just a couple of times a week instead of three times a day. So, uh, you know, I know a lot of people, their eyes glaze over. They don't want to be vegan. They don't want to hear the V word. So, but the studies do say that if you keep it to below 10%, you will not experience a lot of the damage and the harm. But of course, it's optional. You don't need them. And you may notice that just reducing to a couple times a week, pay attention to your symptoms the day after you consume them. You may notice, oh my gosh, I did have some animal food last night. And now I feel achy today. I feel stiff. I don't, I'm not moving as well. I can't, you know, squeeze my hands as well. You may start to see a correlation even just when you reduce to that twice and may spur you to, to go all the way. And now, the, you know, people find that it's really hard to figure out how to eat healthy. And a lot of that has to do with the oversupply of information of information on the internet and it's really hard to figure out when everybody is contradicting everybody else when it comes to what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat and should you supplement and should you not supplement and so on and so forth. So it's really scary. And then Margaret Mead said it's easier to change a man's religion than to change his diet because people say, I'm not going to give up my meat. I'm not going to give up my cheese. I'm not going to I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. And I tell them, well, what you're giving up is pain. What you're giving up is a lifestyle that really just rots. You you can't get out of bed without pain. You can't take a walk. You can't pick up your grandchildren. You you know, what do you, wouldn't you rather give up that? So, and then I share this because a lot of the times when people don't don't already eat a whole food plant-based diet, they think this is what they're going to eat. Now, these look beautiful and yes, they can be very tasty, but to those who don't eat this way, that doesn't really look like food. This looks more like food. And these are really healthy recipes, all made whole food, plant-based. The majority of them are extremely low fat. 
This one is a Caesar salad. It's not extremely low fat because almond meal is used to give it that beautiful flavor and texture. Um, and almonds, of course, nuts are a little bit higher in fat, but it's still a healthy food. So this is oil-free roasted red pepper hummus. This is oil-free marinara on whole grain pasta. So there's ways, and you know, Amy has provided, I'm sure, tons of recipes and tons of ways for you to eat really well that tastes amazing. You're not just out back grazing on your grass. You can eat real food. So that's why I love to show these two slides. And then these are some great recommended resources. And I made sure you saw here Amy's website as well. But um, you can pause this if you're watching this by recording. Of course, it's here live now. You'll have to go back and find it. But, but I like to provide these because these are great websites that can give you some beautiful uh, resources and information. And then these cookbooks are all amazing. For those of you who may be living with someone who doesn't want to eat the way you do, if you're already whole food plant-based, I highly recommend this because it helps you to not have a war in your kitchen. We want to be happy and joyful and calm and peaceful when we eat. We don't want to be arguing with people and having problems. And then a lot of people say, how can you afford to eat um, you know, to eat like that because it's so expensive. Well, I hate to tell you, but it's a lot less expensive to eat beans and rice and potatoes and lentils than it is to eat animal foods. And, and the money you save in your health issues and medications and all kinds of other things is well worth it. But these are some great books and, um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're just amazing. So, all right, getting back to treating pain and issues. So there's lots of conventional medical treatments. And as I've said, you know, I've seen a lot of people who say they wish they knew then what they know now because they would not have agreed to what they agreed to because they're dealing with the negative effects. Everything has negative effects, everything. Um, yes, it can have positive effects as well, but you need to know what the negatives are and what the positives are so that you can weigh the benefits versus the risks and make an informed decision. Uh, I remember uh, an expert, I've taken countless courses on how to treat people manually with my hands, uh, you know, like a dozen or more different um, techniques that I'm trained in, as well as teaching people how to restore movement in three-plane authentic function, which can literally shut off pain when you know how to move properly, uh, can be very, very effective. And, and some other self-care methods that I teach people online, I've been doing it for years, long before the world shut down. But I remember taking a course once years ago from an expert from New Zealand. And she said that we need to lie across our patients and say, no doctor, let me have them first. Because there's so many things that can be taught that can be done to help you physically, pain-wise, um, that is just phenomenal and can be really effective and can happen really quickly for some people. It's shocking sometimes. In just even just one session, people can see a difference in their pain. So there's lots that can be done. So what's missing here? Well, the core issue is not addressed, whether it's you know foot pain, knee pain, uh, back pain, shoulder pain, it's in medications, the core issue is not addressed. And this is showing just backs, but you must address the cause of the pain versus treating just the symptoms because everything's connected to everything else. 
you don't take a body part off and put it on a shelf when you go to bed. And you saw that, oh my goodness, what happens at the heel bone impacts what happens at the neck. And what happens up in the trunk impacts what happens all the way down the chain right to the foot. So, and this doesn't mean that you have to treat every single part of your body to fix pain. But what it does mean is that the best strategy is that you and whoever you're consulting with needs to understand how your body performs and reacts through motion and functional living. They don't just see a knee walk through the door. They don't just see a shoulder walk through the door. They don't just see a back walk through the door. They need to see that you're an entire person. And then it's really important that you're informed. When you're an informed healthcare consumer, you will make better choices with improved outcomes. You need to understand the risks and the benefits of things. There is a whole person treatment approach. And when I work with people, I want a full medical history. I want to know any accidents, falls, injuries, or surgeries that they've experienced. I want to know what their lifestyle is. Are they really active or are they couch potato? What's their occupation? Are they, are they building mattresses all day long in a warehouse and they're bent way over these heavy mattresses and they're, they're there for hours trying to lift these things up and sew them together? I need to know what people are doing. And then what's their recreational activities and how often do they do them? And I do a whole body assessment and you can do a whole body assessment in less than 20 minutes. Uh, I actually have a, a website where you can sign up for a free membership and it, it, there's a 21 minute video on there teaching you how to do your own three plane whole body assessment in, in just, just 20 minutes. Now, because you're new to it and you, you may have to pause the video and take a little bit more time, but that's all it takes. And then you know what body parts aren't working right and you know where to work. You don't beat up the victim. So the treatment, when I work with people, the education that I provide, the techniques that I perform, if I'm face to face with them, or if we're working over Zoom, the home exercise program is going to be based on the assessment, not the symptoms. Because if their knee is bothering them because their ankle's not dorsiflexing or their hip doesn't rotate, then I could give the knee exercises till the cows come home, but it's not going to help their knee. So hopefully this is all sinking into everybody. If somebody's low back is painful because their trunk doesn't rotate, if you can't back up your car without creating back pain, I can almost guarantee you it's not your back, it's your trunk, your thoracic spine, or neck pain. If you can't turn your head without neck pain, it's probably your trunk. And, and or it could be, you know, depending on when you experience the pain and what's going on. Everybody's unique. Everybody's like a fingerprint, but, but everybody's human body, authentic human function is designed the same in every human body. So imagine if you had this kind of pain-free motion in your body, this is the three plane assessment. These are all the movements. There's six movements and they're performed on the right side of the body and the left side of the body. So you see 12 pictures here. What would your life look like if you could move this way? So do you want relief of the symptoms or do you want to resolve the cause? What is your goal? Hopefully you want to resolve the cause. Now you might need to do something to relieve the symptoms in the meantime, especially if you're really suffering. I don't want anybody to suffer. I'm not against people getting medical intervention. What I'm against is ignoring the cause and treating the symptoms and leaving the person hanging. That's to me, that's just, there, there's, it's just not ever justified unless the person who they're seeking doesn't have that information. And, you know, we can't blame people 
when we go to an expert for something, they can only teach what they know. They can't share information they don't have. So we have to understand that too, right? I mean, doctors go to school for 12 years. They, they want to help people. So we can't be blaming them. But if they haven't been taught this information, they can't share it either. I hope that makes sense. So I want to offer uh, Amy's audience, I want to offer all of you watching this today live or by recording, this, this access to this three-day challenge, it's not just about plantar fasciitis, as you learned, it's about function of the body. And uh, there are two workouts that I teach with movement education and modifications for people who may have pain. I can't watch you, of course, and make sure you're doing it right, but I teach a lot of different modifications in the movement ed portion of it. The videos are all split up. If you go to this website right here or use this link, I should say, have lifelongwellbeing.com forward slash PF challenge, you can sign up to, for free access um, for two full weeks. It's only three days of information. I'm giving you two full weeks so you can practice, you can work, you can see the change it can make in your body. Um, I really want to help people. I want people to know this stuff. So now what I'm going to do, Amy, is I'm going to show my little foot model here. Okay. And I'm going to, now that people have a fairly good understanding, this will just take a couple minutes and then we can answer any questions in our remaining time. Excellent. So this is a right foot. Okay. And so if this person goes to take a step, they're going to land on the outside of the heel. And I think this is flipped. It's got me doing backwards. So it's going to look funny to you guys. So it's actually, it's looking like a left foot to you guys because the, the heel, the outer heel bones on the other side, does this look like a left foot to you, Amy? So that I'm not confusing people. Well, it looks like it's like you're holding it on your left, in your left hand. So, I am holding it in my left hand, but where are you seeing this bone? Is this on the right on or the left? Right. On the right. It is on the right. Okay, good. That's what I wanted to know because to me it looks opposite. Yeah. So I didn't want to confuse people. So you're going to land on the outside of the heel here just a little bit. Most of you will notice your shoes wear out a little more on the outer part. Um, and that's why, because you land a little on the outer part. And you remember me mentioning the physics, the ground reaction force, gravity, mass and momentum. So because of all of those things, when you land on that part of the heel, it will naturally drop down. And as it drops down, that causes that bone to evert or move out away from midline. And when that happens, that talus bone that you saw in the picture, that talus bone that has no muscles attached to it, rides that saddle on top of the, the heel bone and it rotates down and in. And when that bone rotates down and in, you see how the foot widens? See how those toes widen? It creates more space. So it makes it flexible, it unlocks the bottom of the foot, it pronates the midfoot, and it causes it to be a nice, flexible, shock-absorbing foot. Now, all that stuff happens above. This bone rotates in, the thigh bone rotates in, the pelvis rotates, the trunk rotates, your arms are swinging when you walk. Then what happens from the top down, it responds to that, it ends up going just a certain amount and then it goes the opposite direction. Kind of like, you know, think about screwing something and then it starts unscrewing and it comes back down and it creates rotation in the trunk the opposite direction. The pelvis rotates the opposite way. The thigh bone rotates out. The shin bone rotates out. 
which causes that talus bone to rotate up and in. And you can see it actually makes the foot more narrow. It creates more of an arch here. It lifts it up, it supinates the foot, and it creates a very solid foot surface so you can propel off the big toe. So all that has to happen between the time you land on your heel and you step off the foot. Pretty amazing, right? So we need all that to happen. And hopefully you'll be interested enough to check out the plantar fascia challenge and you can learn a lot more about and you can learn workouts and, and movements that can help your whole body, uh, even if you don't have foot pain. And you'll walk better. Wow. Lot, lots of uh, information that you gave to us and there's so much to learn. And it's, I'm, I'm just always fascinated by the human body. And they even, they try to make, they make computers that can think, but they can't make robots that can move in the delicate way that a human body moves. Absolutely. Matter, I mean, we have a lot of high tech people yeah. out there and they still, when they get a robot, it, it kind of yeah. clutches yeah. around. Yeah. The body is just amazing. And like you said, there's so many things that depend upon other things. Yes, but I love that you say that about the robots, Amy, because the reason that we don't look like robots when we move is because every movement we make includes all three planes of motion. You've got forward and back, side to side and turning. Mm. And when people do that robotic dance and they want to look like a robot, they're only moving one plane at a time. And that's why robots do that. They can only move in one plane of motion at a time. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely make, makes you appreciate the, the, what we have. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we have some questions from our audience, and the first one is from Colette. Okay. What are the best stretches or exercises to relieve or prevent sciatica? I'm not overweight, a vegetarian, and do lots of gardening and walking. Okay, so sciatica can be caused by more than one issue. So there is no magic answer for this person, but I'll explain the sciatica first briefly and then a few different things that, that can be beneficial for it. So um, sciatica, depending, it's pain that goes down the leg. Sometimes it just goes into the buttock and people just want to stick their fist right up in there because it's really painful and it just drives them nuts. Talk about a literal pain in the butt, right? But the pain can go all the way down into the foot. Now, the, the problem can be occurring at the nerve root of the vertebrae of the lumbar spine. And so if that's the case, a really good way to address that is using McKenzie, the McKenzie method. Um, finding a, a therapist who's trained in that might be helpful, but there's a really beautiful book. I've got it right here. Treat your own back. I think this is my new one. It might be, oh, here's the new one. Sorry if I come off camera here. This is the new one. Treat Your Own Back is a beautiful book written by, you can see it's a really thin paperback. It's, it's aimed at the, the average person. Uh, constantly reminds you if you should seek a professional who's trained in McKenzie. I highly recommend that you find a PT who's literally certified in McKenzie because there are PTs out there that may have just learned a couple of things but from a coworker, but they really don't know the method that well. Um, you need to know it. But I've gotten people out of sciatic pain in 15 minutes using McKenzie. It's phenomenally effective. So if it's nerve root, if it's what's called a posterior derangement, 
Mackenzie can work beautiful, but you've got to be classified first to know what's causing it. Now, there's another cause that can be happening, and that's there's you have a deep muscle in your buttock called the piriformis. And if you've got anything going on in the pelvis that isn't happy, that piriformis can be kind of like a tug of war. It's not happy with the positioning. And because it sits on top of the sciatic nerve for most people, it can be annoying the sciatic nerve. So addressing what's going on in the pelvis to resolve, get the piriformis calmed down. A lot of the times people will do a position where they kind of, if you lay on the bed and you bring your knee way up to your side as you're laying there, that can shorten the piriformis and make it happier and kind of calm it down a little bit. But if the, if the pelvis is off and it keeps yanking on it over time, it'll just get upset again. So there's not really a magic stretch for that because you have to figure out what's causing the problem. Again, you know, a specific exercise or a specific stretch, it may just be addressing the symptom and not address the cause. So um, hopefully that, that was helpful. That sounded really helpful. And it seems like she does a lot of gardening. Would there be something that she should be wary of? Right. So gardening is going to be a lot of bending forward and doing this. So yeah. that might be why it, it may be a, a posterior derangement or it's aggravated because of all of this. So if that's the case, if there's a lot of this forward bending and a lot of this squatting and that kind of thing, doing some work to open up, but that might actually make the pain worse initially, which is why doing McKenzie can be helpful that way. But doing more of the, the backward bending, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, squatting down and having a really strong power source. Some people have lack power here. So when they go to squat, their low back is getting aggravated or their muscles can't handle that, that squat. So uh, strengthening the glutes, making sure that the hamstrings are loading properly. And I don't mean lengthening them. I mean, training them. Uh, a lot of people are told their hamstrings are tight and that's really kind of not accurate. It's really because their hamstrings aren't loading properly. So there's, there's a lot of things that can be done, um, but you got to figure out what's causing it first so that you know you're doing the right thing. Oh, wow. That was like getting a consultation. <laughs> that was really great. Okay. Um, Daniel said, how does excess body weight impact walking? Can an extra 10 pounds have any effect? So, well, we did have the slides that showed how, you know, the body mass index is important. It typically was about 25, which is, you know, um, not all that excessive weight. 10 pounds, I think it would depend on you know, everybody's a little bit different in how much muscle mass they have and, and how much body fat they have. So if you're someone who's really sedentary and you put on 10 pounds, it's probably body fat, which is going to be a negative factor. But if you've been going to the gym and you put on 10 pounds, it could be muscle mass because muscle is a lot denser than fat. It weighs more. So, you know, sometimes you lose inches when you start working out, but you don't lose pounds on the scale because the, the muscle is, is more dense than the body fat. So um, I haven't specifically come across studies that say 10 pounds make a huge difference. But if you think about looking at 10 one pound steaks hanging on a line, if it's fat, that's what you've got. You've got those 10 visuals kind of on your body that you really don't want. So I think it would be it would be important to try to get that off the body and whole food plant based diet will pretty much do that for most people. So that's great. Um, OK, well, we have so many questions, but we're running low on time here. So maybe you'll be able to come back sometime and uh, do that. 
do, do some more presentations for us and, and answer more questions. And I wanted to really thank you, Eileen. Yes. Yeah. Well, we can do, I mean, how are there any? I, I have a couple more. So. I know my answers tend to get long. So no, I, love, I love how detailed you are. I just didn't want to keep you from, from going anywhere. But you yeah, know. We can do one more. Let's okay. do one more. So uh, let's see. Glenn said, I have chronic pain in my right ankle. Nothing shows on imaging. Podiatrist gave me orthotics for pronation. This has been going on for four months. Injections have not helped. Yes. So I would highly recommend this person seeks out somebody who knows how to look at the ankle function itself, because unfortunately, you know, if the orthotics were the answer, the person would have felt better by now. So um, you when you when you put that orthotic up under the arch of the foot, you are preventing the foot from pronating enough to trigger everything that has to happen and then come back up out of it into supination. So sometimes orthotics are the worst thing for somebody. You've got to see what's happening with the foot in walking and, and nobody's doing that when they prescribe these things. So, I mean, I'm not picking on this podiatrist specifically, but if they don't have that training, they don't know they're experts in the foot but they're not experts in how the foot reacts to the body and how the body reacts to the foot. That's what they lack in knowledge. So they're not looking at that. So when this person walks, are they getting a nice rotation of the hip? Are they getting good trunk rotation? Are their arms swinging? Are they getting good dorsiflexion? So um, I would recommend check out, go to, um, I have a website and I think Amy, I don't know if you put the different things on when you post this on YouTube, but I have a website, mwpprivateclub.com. There's a free membership level where you can assess your three-plane motion. So I recommend, Glenn, assess your three-plane motion. See what's going on. You may notice, oh, my gosh, it's because my left hip doesn't rotate. Or it's because my trunk doesn't turn right. Or it's because I don't dorsiflex. So, And you may be able to train yourself out of that problem. It's quite possible. I mean, I'm not making any promises because I haven't assessed you, but but it's certainly worth trying because what you've been doing hasn't worked. So that's that's a long time for something to be. Yes, absolutely. And that's miserable four months and you're trying everything. And yeah. Yeah. So our friend Sid wanted to know, what about shoes in general? What should we avoid besides flip flops? So everybody is so unique. Some people are going to do really well in a more rigid shoe. Some people are going to do really well, you know, in a more of barefoot shoe that, you know, the zero balance shoes where there's no height difference between the heel and the toes work well for some people and not so hot for others because we are so unique and what's going on in our body and our history and all that stuff. It, it, there is no one perfect shoe for people. So it's it's not possible. But I do know that a lot of people aren't wearing shoes that fit them properly. So if, you, if you're old enough to remember when you went to get shoes, they had that neat little gadget, that, that metal gadget that you put your foot in, you put your heel up against and they measured the length of your foot and they measured the width of your foot. You don't see those anywhere anymore. And most people are wearing shoes that don't fit them properly. It either aren't the right width or they aren't the right length. And that's huge in and of itself. So um, that can make a huge difference. But there's no there's no perfect shoe for everybody. Um, and, and I wish I could say, 
you know, more specifics on that, but, but finding somebody who is an expert in shoes, like a podorthist, a master shoemaker uh, in, Oh, in that challenge, I had a master shoemaker who is a podorthist. She's been doing it for 45 years. Um, she did a presentation in that challenge where she talked about shoes and she talked about different things. So um, th yeah, there's more information there. Oh, that, that's great. Yeah, because I mean, there's just so many shapes and sizes and then they just have these things that are in the store. And right, and some people do pronate a little more than others. Some people are kind of stuck in a little bit of supination, Some, you know, so it's really about training the body to get that foot to work better mechanically. And then almost any shoe you wear is going to be okay. And um, and as the, the podorthos who did the challenge said, if you wear the right shoe most of the time, you can get away with the wrong shoe some of the time. So like if you want to wear a nice shoe at a wedding or something. So uh -huh. yeah, mm -hmm. that's smart. Very smart. Do you mm -hmm. want to, do you want to stop now? Or uh, yes. Cause there's probably tons and I feel bad for not answering everybody's questions, well, you know, but, just, um, but I do free events all the time. I do have another free event that's opening up the end of this month. So if they go to the, the PF challenge and they sign up for that, they'll get noticed about the new one that's going to be live. And I answer all questions live in those challenges. That's so, wonderful. Yes. Well, thank you, Eileen, for sharing your expertise and your passion with us today about how food and movement impact walking. Who yeah. knew? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Everybody, well. please click like to show your appreciation for what Eileen shared with us today. And Eileen, tell us a little bit more about what you do and how we can find you just so that we can make sure. Right. So, I well, I do have um, a YouTube channel where I've got a lot of movement education on there that's free for everyone. Um, I also do have my MWP private club website where they can sign up for a free membership. There's also a paid, le paid level that has 52 workouts in there and all kinds of information. Um, I have an online academy where I teach a live weekly class. I also teach a monthly melt class, which addresses the fascial system. Uh, and I do regular free events all the time. So about every six to eight weeks, I do a free event. And um, so, and that's what that PF challenge was that I'm giving you access to. And then those are, those are um, posted permanently on um, different um if, uh, like the private club or the academy so that people can continue to access them should they want to join my community. So, and I also do private consultations using Zoom. I've worked with people all over the world long before the world shut down because of how I assess the body movement wise and the different things I can teach. I don't need to physically be in the room. But if I do think somebody needs something specific that requires hands-on, I recommend that as well. And I give advice as to how to find the right people. So. Oh, well, excellent. And that Sid said, I always learn so much from my wonderful presentation as usual. And Angela agrees. <laughs> um, well, Angela and Sid and I were all a mutual, um, wonderful, loving society. So, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just lovely people, as are you. Mm -hmm. Well, why don't, what, why don't you give us what your final take-home message for our Green Warriors is? Yes, the, the final message would be to make sure that the person who looks at you doesn't treat you as a body part. They need to know that everything's connected to everything else or how they help you is going to be quite limited. Very good. Well, Green Warriors, tell us in the comments, what are you going to remember 
what is your what are your tech takeaways from today's presentation? I did want to thank everybody that has been watching today. Of course, without you, we wouldn't be here. And I wanted to offer everybody, we were talking about this earlier, five free recipes. So if you just go to my website, deepbeingwithamy.com slash join, then I will send you five free recipes. So that should be a lot of fun. And I wanted to also just thank all of you again for being here. Please take your right hand and grab your left shoulder and take your left hand and grab your right shoulder. Now squeeze, because that's a hug from me to you. And I also wanted to thank Just Test Voice because she did our promo and she did our countdown. And Just Test Voice, tell us who's coming up next. Do you experience discomfort or stiffness in your hips, limiting your mobility and daily activities? Fitness instructor Angela Faschetti will lead a hip mobility chair workout, helping you alleviate tension and unlock your body's potential for greater flexibility and well-being. Join in on Wednesday, September 13th, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Be Green with Amy Live. Wasn't that fun that we heard from Angela and she's going to be coming up next. Yes. <laughs> well, I would like to invite all my green warriors that are watching. If you want to type this in the comments and join me with Eileen as we do my tagline and sign off until I see all of you again, be strong, be well, and be green. green. <laughs> Thanks so much, Eileen. Thanks so much. It was so nice to see you again. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and be green.